Well, good morning. Turn in your scriptures to Jonah, chapter 3. We are moving at a whale's pace. This morning, the sermon title is Second Chance Kind of God. Have you ever been given a second chance? Do you understand the value of second chances? I think so much of the time, the challenges that people have with God is that they have a bad understanding of, of who God is. They've taken one aspect of, of who God is, and they hold on to that. Maybe it's not even a credible story or source of who God is. And they hold on to it. My encouragement to you today is you get to look at a very non-typical part of the character of God. We've talked a little bit about, or, or, or in relation to this series, what is the real essence of the book of Jonah? And many individuals, and appropriately, appropriately or, or rightly so, ascribe the main focus of the book of Jonah to describe a compassionate God. Hopefully we've done a good and yeoman's job of setting forth a little bit of the history, the tenets, the focus, the struggles that we can relate to out of this book. I've been getting a lot of great responses about seeing who God is and seeing the challenges and the struggles of who Jonah is and how does that fit into my world. I'm not sure that we're going to see another passage in this entire book that is more relevant to the last thing I said. How does this relate to myself? Something that's written thousands of years ago. Same God. And many of those circumstances are current. I'm going to give you permission to kind of walk through your own life, play back your, and here's a nice 80s, term play back the videotape in your head right of your own life look see examine what are those moments where god has given you a second chance and in light of that how does that help us understand who god is that's where we're going today let me pray over our time in the word father you are the creator of all things you are good you are righteous you are compassionate. You are compassionate where we would struggle to be so. As we unpack this morning the story in front of us, let us glean from it, Father, that which would minister to our soul, that would inspire us to righteous living, and even more so, it would inform us in the deepest sense of why we would ever want relationship with you. Thank you, Father. 
be with our time. Let your spirit guide these words and write them on the tablets of our heart. In your name we pray, and according to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. So, let's start with this idea that second chances are a breath of fresh air, but something always smells fishy, right? Second chances are a breath of fresh air, but something always smells fishy. If you happen to struggle this year with paying your taxes and the IRS were to tell you, send you a letter saying, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it. Initially, you're going to, wow, thank God. Then you're going, whoa, what? Well, there's a catch in here somewhere, right? Jonah is experiencing this to a certain level that probably goes way beyond what we have to do and, and endure ourselves. Jonah's been given a second chance. We left him last week being regurgitated out onto dry land from some form of a sea creature. This is after he's gone through an essence of repentance. Actually, that's a completely wrong word. That, that gives the illusion that yeah, it wasn't really definable. He went through a very particular repentance found in all of chapter 2. That's part of what we learned last week, is as you work through your relationship with God, how does confession work with that? And there are some very particular things that make for a complete confession so that you get a what? A second chance. The beauty is, we have all failed. I hate to tell you that. Like, wait a minute, I don't want to come to a church where the pastor tells me I failed. I'm going to find church that tells me how handsome I am we have all failed that's the reality that's the the dirty little secret and some people or circumstances never gave us a second chance I've always loved I, I did a couple mission trips over to Hong Kong and we worked with um, teenagers uh, I was working with my own students and we went over and did some work teaching English and using the gospel in that and and so the amount of pressure on those students early on in what we would call high school years is immense because it all comes down to one test. And that one test determines their future, whether they will be able to go to what's called university or whether they go to what's called almost like a trade school. And there are no second chances. There is that test and that's it. For myself, I had a great second chance. I never even took the SAT. And I still got into college. It's called payola to the president of the... No, it's not called that. I didn't even have that. Um, it's, it's duly affected by something my son absolutely loves and so many college students enjoy. It's called an athletic scholarship. And then you enter in under something called probation, academic probation. How many pastors would tell you they, they did college on academic probation? I'm doing my best to make you see exactly who I am. So, yeah, you know, there was kind of a second chance there. And I certainly appreciated it. We live off these second chances, but sometimes there's something that smells fishy in them. Because so much of the time that second chance comes with condition. Does it not? There's manipulation, there's extortion in that second chance. 
The beautiful part about what, what it means to have a second chance by God is it comes through His grace, His mercy, and His patience. And you'll see that at the end today. He is not one that gives second chances with shackles tied to it. It is not an effort to manipulate us to get something from us. It is given in grace. So let's look at Jonah this morning. God gave Jonah a do-over. How many of you guys get do-overs? Have you ever granted that to your, your spouse? Right? And, and that, might, that might not go really well. Like, there might be like some conflict and you say, you're going to get a do-over on that. Okay? Let me just warn you, be careful about doing do-overs with spouses or, peop- or, or your boss. You could go into your boss tomorrow and, and maybe things didn't end well on Friday and you say, look, I'm going to give you a second chance probably don't want to go there all right but in this situation we see Jonah is given a second chance he's given a do-over let's look at it first of all before we get into our text today Jonah's back on dry land we finish up chapter two and and many of you may not know this that that uh it wasn't until we had the Geneva Bible somewhere around I think 16th 17th century did we have all these demarcations these books were just written as a narrative, okay? When we got the Geneva Bible, that's where we parsed them out into chapters and verses. So it's a continual thought. So let's go and, and, and reconnect to that thought that we left off with last week. Jonah goes through confession, repentance, and God gives him that second chance, and he's put out onto dry land. By the way, in a little bit, uh, uh, just prior to communion, we're going to have a kid's Lego Actually, I don't even know that it's like a kid's thing, but we're going to have the Lego story of Jonah uh, here in a little bit, and you'll be able to watch that. If, if you can't understand Jonah through my preaching, maybe through Lego interpretation and Lego movie, you can. So Jonah is put back onto dry land. He's given a do-over, and then we pick up what we're going to look at today, verses 1 through 5. Let's dive in. Chapter 3, 1 through 5. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah The what? The second time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. I I had an individual here tell me one time, going years and years and years back, that they were told that this three days was the journey from Joppa on the coast of the Mediterranean in Israel, over to where Nineveh is, which is basically where Mosul is in Iraq. Actually, if you do the calculations on the, on the travel time, because they didn't have a, uh, a, uh, uh, a Dodge Hellcat to drive there and back, um, it would have taken much longer. It would have taken about a month for them to get there. Anywhere from, say, two and a half weeks to a month. And yet, this individual was very concerned because he was told that he got there in three days. That was a bad, erroneous teaching. What is being said here in three days? 
Jonah arrives, and I, I, I take the time to explain this so you understand how many people are in Nineveh. Spoiler alert, last verse of the, of the, of the book. Anybody know? 120,000 sold. You got it. 120,000 people. Nineveh was like the Mecca. It was the New York City. It was actually more like Los Angeles of its time. When it says great city, this three days literally means it took three days to get across Nineveh from edge to edge. So when you start to read, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceedingly an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Now listen, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out. What Jonah is doing is he's finding the, the areas and the places where people would have gathered at certain times of the day. He has a strategic plan as to how he's going to take God's message and get it to as many people as possible. It's part of missions. We have a missions banquet coming up. You're going to hear about it next week. It's at the end of March. And so our missions committee and our church is looking at strategy of helping our people understand and we want to have a banquet where we can share with as many people as possible what we're doing in, in missions, what you are doing in missions through Concord Bible Church. So he picks these times of day. He goes a day's journey into a part of the city and he sets up by maybe the city gate, maybe by the market, probably in a place where most of the people would have congregated at a particular time, and he makes his declaration, this message from the Lord. Then he goes another day's journey. You, you, you see what he's doing, right? And he's taking that message, and he's saying it over and over. How many days does Nineveh have? Forty days. Forty days. We talk about God being a God of second chances. It's fascinating I, you know, usually when, when I ask uh, somebody of something, like, for instance, when I used to coach, I wouldn't tell one of my players, okay, you got 40 days to figure this out. I would usually say, hey, this is the team we're playing against next week. You're going to be going up against this person. You've got to figure out how to, you know, this, this, and this, and to know how to attack properly or to know how to defend properly. You, you, you got one day. You don't have 40 days. But when you start seeing how God is at work, He doesn't just give a second chance. He's giving day after day. He's giving 40 total days. A God of compassion. A God of mercy. A God of patience. So Jonah's back on dry land. Now Jonah's back on task. Right? You know, the fascinating thing is that Jonah probably didn't need a reminder, but God came back and gave him the same message. Just to refresh. Say, Jonah, let's do a do-over here. This is your message. I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to declare to them who I am, and I want you to give them the opportunity to repent. Tell them they have 40 days. So, Jonah gets back on task. He's not heading the wrong way. He's not confused in his message anymore. He is following exactly what God desires of him. Jonah is restored. He is not passed over. Jonah is restored. He's not passed over. Jonah is back with a vengeance. He doesn't hesitate. 
He went directly to, he may have stopped off for a falafel, he may have petted a camel, who knows, but he just went, he went there, okay? He got in the gates, and he didn't sit down and try to make friends with a lot of people. He didn't try to figure out, okay, how am I going to really reach these people? There's 40 days. He went, and he specifically gave the message that he was supposed to give. He did it with accuracy, and he did it with effectiveness. This is a different person. Do you realize why we get second chances? So that we can fulfill who God has called us to be. Jonah is back with a vengeance. Turn to John 21. I'm going to give you another example out of the New Testament so you kind of understand with biblical characters, with biblical people, how is it that God demonstrates with consistency this attitude of grace and mercy and patience with second chances? Peter is famous for... Jesus, he's famous for a lot of things. Peter is famous in certain senses or infamous for saying something three times. And it got him in a heap of trouble, didn't it? Not only did he do that in denying his Savior three times, it was predicted by his Savior, by the Christ, that he would do it. And he adamantly denied it. This is amazing. It's like going to one of these real estate things that they promise you, you know, you're going to win a free cruise. You don't have to sign up for anything. You're going to win a free cruise. And you're going in, you're like, I'm not going to sign up for anything. I'm just getting my cruise, and I'm getting out of here. Next thing you know, you've got five times shares in Tijuana. All right? And you're like, how did that happen? How did that happen? Peter was told, you are going to deny me. And he does it. Now think about somebody that you care about, you honor, you have followed, you've given your life up. They say you're going to betray me, not just once, not just twice, but three times. Say it'll never happen, and it happens. So much so that what? That some speculate Jesus would have been within earshot of the last one that he said. So when Jesus shows back up after the resurrection, Peter jumps out of the boat, he can't contain himself, which is Peter, right? He can't contain himself from his Lord and Savior. And he runs up to him. Have you ever been in that position that you've been estranged from someone for a while? And when you initially see them, just the, the purest sense of joy comes up in your heart. But after you've hugged it out, you suddenly start remembering the history. I have to believe this happened for Peter. And we see it in John 21 because after the disciples have eaten, after the Lord has prepared fish, after they have fed, Jesus says to Peter, come walk with me. Come walk with me, Peter. And pick it up in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. There you go, right? Now, those sound like healing words, don't they? They would to me if the last thing the Lord heard from me was, I do not know Him. Those sound like healing words. And part of me would say, 
Did he just say that? Did he really just say that? I think Jesus knew what we would say and I think he knew what Peter was thinking because it goes on to say this. He said to him a what? A second time. He gets a do-over with the promise. He gets a second chance to hear the promise and God's plan for him, God's grace, mercy, and patience. Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him, what? A third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And you know that if you preach this passage, what, what's going on here? A lot of individuals, a lot of scholars, pastors believe that it's at this point that Peter recognized what was going on. And it, that's why it says it grieved him. But then I think Peter realized what the Lord was doing. You see, God is complete in His restoration, is He not? He is complete. He wants nothing holding you back. He wanted nothing holding Jonah back. And he took Jonah to where he had to take him to get Jonah to say, I trust you, I believe in you, and I have thankfulness in my heart. Boom. Jonah, get back on dry land. Let's go. Let's go. Just like Peter. Just like you and I. God gave Nineveh a do-over. By the way, there's notes if you want to fill these in. Fill it in the blank. Um, something, if, if there's any aspiring preachers out there, something you need to know is that if you're in a minor prophet book and you access the New Testament, make sure you use that ribbon to figure out where the minor prophet book is again, or it's going to take you 15 more minutes to find it again. That was divine intervention. That was a one-page turn. That was amazing. God gave Nineveh a do-over. God appointed a messenger at a great cost. How many of you have worked and worked and worked at something so that someone else would benefit. There was a great cost for you. You worked and you worked and you worked at it. God is at work. God is at work for a people that nobody would have thought twice about. God is at work for a people that were so evil and so hideous. They were the enemy of Israel. God is at work. And He did all that work with Jonah. Why not just grab somebody that would do it the first time? Thank God He doesn't take that focus with us. Amen? But God has so much compassion for the Ninevites that He's going to do it the hard way. He's going to do it the hard way. And so God appointed a messenger at great cost. Maybe initially they had 80 days. Maybe initially they had 120 days. But because of, of, of Jonah's little escapade here to, to Tarshish, it cost time. I don't know. That's all speculation. The point is, is God knew what Jonah was going to do, and he chose to work with the very one that would resist him and would betray him and not obey him. And he would continue to work with Jonah so we could learn from that. And so Jonah could learn. 
to trust in his God. Now, Jonah initially thinks about going and taking this message to a hideous, horrible people who killed his own people in battles, these Assyrians, these Ninevites. And he's supposed to take this message of threats. By the way, it's not a message of of necessarily redemption. Do you remember the message? God says you will be destroyed in what? How many days? And so therefore repent. That's in there, right? It's not in there. It is a hardcore message. How many of you want to take that kind of a message to someone? And that's all you're going to say. That is all you are allowed to say. Do you start to feel the rub of what Jonah was feeling? And yet Jonah did what he did, and God is working at great cost because he saw 120 people and cattle worth it. God appointed a messenger that was hard to work with. Are you hard to work with for God? I am. Every day I think I know more than God. Like, what are we doing? I see like people not, what are we doing here? This pastor apparently thinks he knows more than God. Do you know what I'm saying by that? Jonah thought he knew more than God. There are things that are going on around here or not going on around here within our church. And I get so enamored with those things saying, it's got to happen this way. God, can't you see this? Fix this. I don't yell like that at God. I'm just yelling at you. I don't know why God works with me. I'm not the easiest guy. Wow. Wow, that was a moment that was beautiful. Okay. For those watching, my wife and child are sitting right here uh, on video. God appointed a message at a great cost. You know, God's message isn't always <laughs> something that we just love to hear. Right? Think of, let, let, let's, we know the one that Jonah's dealing with. We just talked about it. Let's go back to Peter. Could he not have just said, Peter, look, I get it. That was a lot of pressure. As a matter of fact, I prophesied it was going to happen. You had no choice in the matter. I feel really bad. I kind of set you up, Peter. And so, look, here. Here's the keys to the kingdom. You're my guy. If you ever doubted it, you're just my guy, okay? Look, are we good? Are we good? Okay? He could have done that. Now, you're laughing, but do we not do this when it comes to spiritual engagement? We're so worried about the message that the message has to be parsed a certain way. I've had individuals say to me, hey, Part of the reason, Pastor, you may not be packing out the house and running multiple services and a, and a church of 1,100 people or 5,000 people is because you choose to talk about controversial things. And I say right back to them, I choose to preach what's in the Word of God. The message comes at a great cost. And it probably came at a great cost for you as well. Did it not? It did for me. Jeremy, you're going to have to say, I'm, you're not important, and God's important. 
You're going to have to understand what it means to be confirmed and affirmed by God and not people. You're going to have to daily take up your cross and follow me. Rather than get immersed in, in all of these things and these dreams and, and uh, possessions and accolades that you and everybody else around you want. You need to be measured by me and not those around you. Or measuring tape around your waist. Don't look at that one. God said that to me. No, he didn't. God appointed a movement at a great cost. This is what, you've heard me say this before, I think this is what is hard for Jonah, ultimately. Because what's happening? Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. We're fairly, I'm, I'm going to guess we're fairly comfortable with offering grace and mercy and, and sacrifice to people we love. That we find value in. You know, one of the things that I've seen God work through tremendously here at Concord Bible Church was our lifetime summer day camp program. And I'm praying that the Lord brings that back, but if He doesn't, He'll have something else for us. But let me speak to that for just a moment. Because the individuals that ministered through that extension, it was just a few people. It wasn't something that our entire church could be part of. But those few individuals approached anybody and everybody with the sense of compassion they kind of created a movement. A movement that the church often doesn't get accolades for in our society. A movement that when proposed here initially because the Lord said, hey, you really want to do this like I would do it. Really take a step of faith and offer a summer day camp program that's going to cost you anywhere from thirty-three dollars to $38,000 for eight weeks. Guys, right now, we can't afford to replace light bulbs around here. $38,000 for eight weeks? Are you nuts? For what? We have a whole family sitting here because of Lifetime this morning. We have so many that are now in their teens, some in their college, years that were introduced to the Lord because of a movement that came at a great cost. And our church saw God at work in a tremendous way that went way beyond what we could explain. But the beauty of that was according to society, according to culture, I had individuals in our church, in our church, say hmm you don't want to offer it for free because then you're going to get the wrong kind of person in here folks now stop looking around trying to figure out who said that okay it was gary all right 
It was not Gary. But if I want something said around here, that guy's going to say it. There was such a beauty of that movement, but it came at a cost. Do you understand how God works? God gave Nineveh Nineveh a do-over. What a tremendous thing. What a tremendous thing to see those same principles, that same God at work today. Amen? So let's look at how this translates for you and I. God gave you a do-over. You ready? You ready? No, we're not going to do the whole extreme makeover thing. I don't have pictures of you guys on the before and after shots. But you know, God does. You do. And I think every once in a while we need to look at those before and after shots, don't we? The choice to choose Him. Now, rhetorical question. Do you know Him? Have you chosen Him? Think about how many times you had that invitation Think about how many times he sent that message to you and you said, no thanks, no thanks, not interested, not interested. But at one point in time, probably at great cost, he kept sending the message to you. And eventually, there was a choice to choose him, just like the Ninevites. Just like the Ninevites. You also were given a do-over on the choice to obey Him. Brothers and sisters, it is a struggle today to obey Christ, to be devoted to Him, to say that we're going to, with all the decisions we have to make with what God has given to us, the time, the resources, my heart, right? What am I going to give that over to? And there are hundreds of things begging for your focus your attention, and you have maybe this much in the tank. And so sometimes we obey other voices. Jonah obeyed another voice, did he not? Now Jonah comes from the tribe of, yay, yay, we've got God, yay, yay, no you don't. Right? That was disturbing, wasn't it? I see it on your faces. That was very... My wife told me when I dance, keep it locked in right here. That's about it. That's about as far as it should go. Right? That's it. Okay? So I thought I was doing that, but apparently that's not even okay. Jonah, you have totally lost where we're going. I've totally lost where we're going. That was horrible. They teach you never to go down that path. But you guys were glossing over a little bit. So the choice to obey him, we have hundreds of voices screaming for our attention and our devotion. Do we not? Think about your week. Jonah had one voice screaming in him, and it was his, saying, you got to be insane to do this trip. Go the other way. Because Tarshish, somebody handed him a brochure on Tarshish, right? And it looked pretty good. So I'm going to go to Tarshish. Are you obeying what God has for you? Because trust me, you don't want to be a pescatarian like Jonah was. And if God has something for you to do and for you to accomplish for His will, can I just really encourage you? Get the do-over just once. Don't, go, don't have to go to the extremes that Jonah had to go through until he lined up 
and chose to obey what God asked him to do. Lastly, it's the choice to follow him. Christ says that this is a daily choice. Daily choose to take up your cross. Daily choose to take up your cross. There's a very simple way for you and I to figure this one out. This is golden. This is like, this is written all over every Christian book that's out there on, on discipleship. Actually, it's probably not, but I'm just going to hand it to you. You ready? When you finish your day, simply ask yourself the same question every night. Did I do what God asked of me today? Now, if you can't answer that question, maybe it's because you didn't ask when you first got up, God, what do you want me to do today? So that should change our choices, right? That should change our choices. If we truly want to follow him, that should change our choices. Next, we'll be able to measure that because when we finish our day, there will be something there that we can evaluate and we can say, yes, today I took up my cross. I chose to follow him. Whatever it is, it says in Ephesians 2.10 that he has created good works before the, the creation of the earth. For you, if you know him, he has created those things for you to be about. You're his Jonah in some way, some shape, some form. You're never going to find out what that is until you choose to follow him daily. Let's conclude with this thought. It's a very long thought, but it's on your notes so you don't have to write it down. It would be a grave error in God's economy to mistake His grace, mercy, and patience as license for bad choices. Sometimes all you have is 40 days. Choose wisely. If only I approached my spiritual walk, my spiritual life, as if I only have 40 days. The Ninevites didn't need to have a bunch of books given to them. They needed one message. God knew what that message was. And by the way, I think one of the reasons they knew what that message was, that's how they operated. They understood annihilation. That was part of their culture. So God takes the message and makes it very applicable to the people that he's bringing it to. So maybe for, for some individuals, it's going to be this, this teaching moment like it was for Peter. Let me finish with this statement out of Romans, and we're going to refocus on this again during communion today. By the way, it reminds us when we're doing a do-over, 2 Timothy 2, 11-13 talks about how he is faithful even when we are not. All right? God is to be trusted. God is one who will give you the do-over according to His promises and according to His glory. Romans 5, we'll finish there today. You can turn there if you want with me. I'm going to read just five verses, 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Does this sound like what we just read out of the book of Noah? Uh, Noah. <laughs> You know your Bible has the book of Noah, the book of Jonah. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. This certainly sounds like the struggle Jonah went through, doesn't it? 
What qualifies you for someone to sacrifice so heavily? Nothing in God's economy. And here it is. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Amen. Let me close in prayer. Father God, you give us all good things. As we look to this, these five verses, but this segment of the story of Jonah and your compassion on a lost, weak, sinful people. It would seem like this is just a a segment that tells us that your servant figured it out, repented, got back on track, chose you, was faithful to do what you asked him to do, arrived at Nineveh, And obeyed. It seems pretty simple. And yet, Father, you did the heavy lifting all the way through, which shows the compassion, the grace, the mercy, the patience that you execute towards those who are your enemies, because you will go to great lengths to bring a message of salvation even for us. We praise you for that, Lord. Let us rejoice in that today. To you be all glory. We say these things and pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. By the way, in in closing, what did I miss? That's really funny. You're like, okay, what am am I going to say? What am I going to tell the pastor he missed? I missed a whole lot. I mean, there's not, I don't have enough time to preach it all. But if you look, I never read the last verse. Did you catch it? Jonah does everything at great cost. And what happened? And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. That's the end of the story. And so as we move forward in our faithfulness and our walk and our following of Christ, can I just encourage you that that an answer for my prayers, and we're going to move into a time of prayer here, the answers to my prayers when it comes to these lights behind me, how many lights do we have lit right now? One. You all know the story of somebody who visited here one time who said, you know, what's wrong with you guys? You can't figure out how to turn on lights? And I said, you're a prophet. Because most of the lights that we turn on over the past three years, by the way, God has been faithful. Every year we fill up all ten lights. Most of those lights happen because of events that we do. What my prayer has been is that it's not just the events that we do, 
or a Sunday morning or an Easter service or a Good Friday or whatever it would be, but that it would come through you. You would be Jonah. Can I just share with you, I was told this week of three different situations where we get to light lights. And none of them happened because of some event. It happened because of you being Jonah. Not the one that went in the whale, but the one that went to Nineveh. That's a praise. That's a praise. 